do a buzz tonight. Anyone feel excited? Welcome everyone to tonight's satsang. And I always like to begin by quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began every program by saying in Hindi, Sabko Barisanmane Kesat Pemse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that was the cornerstone of his teaching, to welcome other people with love, to find the love within yourself, to share that love with others, and to discover the true self deep within through meditation and contemplation. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you all tonight. <clears throat> and um, uh, uh, Robbie, I mentioned that uh, I'll be giving a, a Learn to Meditate course soon, a couple of weeks, isn't it? Yeah, and I haven't, I, I, I gave that course innumerable times, but then I haven't given it for 10 or 12 years now. So, yeah, really, so uh, I have stage fright. I'm, I'm very nervous, so I hope you come and give me support. <clears throat> I'm going to change it radically since the world has changed since then. No, it's the same truth or untruth it ever was. So tonight uh, I'm doing a program uh, which I do periodically. I'm, I'm uh, working on uh, uh, another book. There's actually two books, but it's uh, a book will be called Notes from the Tea Shop. And these are, you know, when I was in India with Baba, I would uh, keep a diary, a spiritual diary. Uh, it was something like, uh, today was Tuesday, I burned. <laughs> today is Wednesday, I burned. Today is Thursday, I suffered. Today is Friday, I had a little bit of an insight. Today is Saturday, I burned some more. So, <clears throat> but I started writing down things, and I call it Notes in the Tea Shop because uh, the only respite in the relentless ashram routine in those years, I'm talking about the early 70s, <clears throat> was the tea shop outside the doors of the ashram and just next door to it, there was a tea shop. You could have a cup of chai and uh, a stale roll, uh, or you could have a, 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 a parlay gluco biscuit. Uh, I won't go into that. But they started to taste really good to me. So I knew I'd been in India for a very long time. They were like nectar. Um, but so every day after, after lunch, uh, we'd rest and then go for a cup of tea. And then we'd go for the afternoon session of ashram seva work. Uh, so it was that time that was my time for contemplating what was going on, thinking about my yoga, my sadhana, my practice, and what I was learning and what I was not learning. And so that's when I would make little notes. So years later, I continued the habit, and so these are some notes from the tea shop. They weren't from 1971. Um, I've burned those, because <laughs> they were all just about burning. Uh, but these are later. But uh, So the book that I'm Will, uh, will be a collection. I've got something like 500 of them, so we're going to put them in two books. 
and uh, you can help me discover whether they're too esoteric or not. All right. <clears throat> ah, oh, of course. So they, I looked around for a, a photo of the tea shop, and we do have one, maybe, of what it was like in the tea shop, and I wasn't in the photo. So through the magic of, uh, of technology, I was made to appear in it. So here you go. <laughs> Now, this is after lunch. We're sitting around having our tea, ready to go to work. It look, it look from my angle, it looks pretty natural, doesn't it? No? Is that, is that a, what? Huh? And uh, for your information, uh, the guy in the hat on the left is Gilly, Sri Gilly Gilly. And I was just telling the story of how Gilly Gilly got his name. And I realized I might have left it out of my book, Ganeshpuri Days. And uh, it's a good story, but I won't tell you today. I'll tell you during the course. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then next to him, the very muscular fellow is Joe Don Looney, the former American football player. Uh, and then uh, I'm over there. I floated in. <laughs> but that, that's kind of the scene next door at Sainer's Tea Shop, which I remember with great fondness. Okay. <clears throat> okay, this first one's called Ideas. So it quotes Werner Erhardt. You know, Werner Erhardt used to be a very well-known guy. I don't know how many, how many of you know the name Werner Erhardt? Okay, still some. He's the founder of the Est seminars, which later became landmark training. And he was a major, what would you call it, uh, uh, transformational teacher. Uh, and also a friend of Baba's. He came to the ashram. He invited Baba to the West. Um, uh, anyway, he said, he used to say, I'm not giving you things to believe, but things to consider and test for yourself. So that's the real thing, is, is not, uh, so some religions give you just a set of beliefs that you have to swear allegiance to, but real yoga is an inquiry into, into what is so, not what somebody tells you is so. And uh, another famous yogi of the 70s, Guru Maharaji, he was the, the child yogi, Prem Rawat said, I'm only telling you things you already know, nothing new. Which is a very interesting. It reminds me of Plato. Plato had, you know, Pla you know Plato? <laughs> he owns a, a Greek diner over in uh, Footscray? No, he's, so Plato believed in the doctrine of reminiscences. And he said, he said, every soul knows everything and they just have to remember it, which is not that different from Pratyabhijna, which is Kashmir Shaivism, which says that you simply have to recognize the truth, to recognize, to know again the truth that you know, but you've forgotten, which is basically that you are the self, that you're not your ego personality, but you are the higher truth. And that when, when you have that recognition, you see it directly and then you know who you are. And what I like to say is, 
I like to say that I'm speaking to the part of you that already knows this, that within every person, however benighted that person may be, however cloaked in materiality and ignorance, there's a part of that person that knows the truth, that knows the higher truth. It may be hidden from that person, uh, but there is a part. And then when you hear that truth, there's a part of you that says, yes, I understand that. I do know that. That makes a lot of sense to me, even if I've never heard it before. When I first heard uh, the American yogi Ramdas speak, it was like bells went off everywhere inside my brain. And everything he said was striking a chord. And I'd never considered any of these things. I considered myself quite the Western rationalist. And yet everything he was saying was, was hitting somewhere in me. <clears throat> so I make a distinction between two kinds of education and the kind of education that we get uh, in our normal educational system I call first education. That's about information. Uh, but there is a second kind of education, which in, the, in our normal system we never hear about, we know nothing about, um, and this is more about remembering or discovering what you already know. We would call it innate knowing. It's discovering the inner truth, the truth of the inner being, and that's why we practice spirituality and why we meditate is for this second kind of education. And so the, the Learn to Meditate course is kind of a, a, a course in second education. So that's one. Next one. Oh, this is a good one. <clears throat> this one is, I remember when it happened, there was some insight I had being in New York. We did programs in New York in 2011. That's what, 13 years ago now, 12 years ago. Because um, I'm from New York. And we, and we did some programs there, and it was very interesting. Uh, but I had this insight, don't, I won't tell you the circumstances, but that there are two kinds of people. And I think this is very valuable to, to understand that. A, there are two kinds of people. This is very valuable for everyone to understand. Well, listen, listen carefully. Bobby used to go. They are devotees and deities. Devotees and deities. <clears throat> the de devotees, people are devotees of yours. If they give you energy and attention and respect, you could say. <clears throat> if they are deities, if they give you nothing. That they give you no energy or attention or respect. In fact, you have to find a method of... Expect everything. What? And expect everything. And, and expect everything. But you have to find... To open that door to the sweetness that's within that person, you have to do puja. You have to do your own worship to them. You have to find a way, whatever that puja is. It doesn't mean you grab out your tray and start making rites and playing bells. But it's a lot like that. You have to find a way to unlock that. And um, sometimes it's not possible. And you say they're a remote deity that, that is unassailable. 
but when you know that, you, you don't, you don't uh, you'll appreciate your devotees and you'll make effort with your deities. You know what I'm talking about? You have some devotees and deities in your life? Hint. The people you don't like are deities. <laughs> you can think about that one. <clears throat> and uh, one thing you should remember, it doesn't matter whether this is fair or not. Because it's not. All right, here's one called the unexamined wife. You know that phrase? Who said that? Who is it? Huh? Socrates. <clears throat> Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, and still people live unexamined lives anyway. Uh, <laughs> Henry David Thoreau, the American uh, author, who's, you know him? Very much in vogue back in my day. He went off to the woods. Anyway, he says, <laughs> he, had, he was uh, sick of it. He went off to the woods and he built a bomb and then he bombed the Pentagon. <laughs> was that a different story? <laughs> anyway, he said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Isn't that lovely? Quiet desperation. <clears throat> so the, the antidote to that is inquiry. Not to live an unexamined life. So you have to train yourself in ongoing practical self-inquiry. Ask yourself, how do I feel about this thing that's happening? Ask yourself, what do I think about this thing? That's enough for, for great inquiry. Always question, ask yourself how you really feel about this, how you really think about it, and then you're not living an unexamined life. <clears throat> Comment. If this inquiry is genuine or ongoing, you will not live the desperate, unexamined life that so terrifies the sages. Okay. <clears throat> Another one called affirmation versus inquiry. <clears throat> In affirmation, we assert an answer. You know, affirmation. You say, yes. In inquiry, we use a question and let the answer come. We don't assert it. Um, now these two uh, processes, 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 I'm caught between America and Australia here. Processes, I say now, that's Australian, isn't it? <laughs> these two, what's another? Processes? These two programs. <laughs> <laughs> To affirm and to inquire are both human. It's not that one is great and one's not. They're both human um, and both worthy. Now, how do we know something? Who is it that affirms, that makes that statement? What force, what voice, what emotion lies under those affirmations? When people say, I know that this is the truth, who's talking? Who's talking? Is that the absolute truth or is it uh, some emotional, partial truth? <clears throat> What's underneath that affirmation? 
You have to look, you have to work it out and inquire into it and see what's underneath it. Who, ultimately, who has the right to affirm? Only God has the right to affirm. Shiva has the right to affirm. Shiva is the one who can make an affirmation. If we're in touch with Shiva, then we can affirm. <clears throat> when you have wrong affirmation, and that happens a lot, then you get what they used to call a flatus, which means you get swollen up. Um, uh, you get ego, ego inflation, wrong crystallization. A lot of people have absolute belief that they have the way and the truth, and they use that to do horrible things. Uh, we can see it these days in certain part of the world. I won't mention Ukraine or anything like that, where these things happen, where people follow some belief system and commit atrocities. <clears throat> now, science doesn't trust affirmation. Science only trusts inquiry. And Zen doesn't trust it affirmation either, only trusts inquiry. Uh, because both science and Zen were burned uh, by affirmation. And I, um, uh, no, it's a whole other story, I won't mention it. But in Shiva process, <laughs> I saw the corridor open to a long thing, but I didn't want to go down it. So I'll spend a long time talking about not going down it. <laughs> <laughs> In the Shiva process, you first inquire. You first delve underneath through inquiry, then you get to the space where you can make an affirmation. It clears the deck for affirmation. You have to be sure that when you affirm a truth, that it comes from a very pure place. But it's very valid also. Two things to think about. <clears throat> This one's called the Pratya Business School and the Spanda School. In Kashmir Shaivism, there are two major schools. One is called the Pratya Business School, which I've already talked about, and the other one's called the Spanda School. Uh, the Pratya Business School, which I said, is recognition, and that emphasizes or represents thought. It's an re intellectual re uh, recognition of who we are. The Spanda school represents feeling. If you go into it, you think about it, what we have in our inner world are two kinds of things. We have thought and we have feeling. When we meditate, that's the realm we look into. We look into the inner world filled with thoughts and feelings. And we try to harmonize them, make some sense of them. They swirl around and then we can go deeper and deeper into a place where there's pure thought and pure feeling, where the feeling is love and joy, and the thought is peaceful, and balanced and harmonious. That's the goal of meditation. But these two schools, they come at it from different points of view. So the, the Pratya Business School comes from the intellectual side. The Spanda School is the feeling. It, it says, what is the feeling experience, the energetic experience of this moment? the emotional content of this moment. And you need both. You need both. And it's important to include the yoga of feeling and not just make yoga an intellectual 
thing as some modern uh, yogis do. They just they bring a concept in and affirm it, uh, and then the feelings lag behind. So two schools of thought. <clears throat> How are we going? Can we keep keep going? <clears throat> Any of them too technical, you think? Or is it all right? If I would, I'd be happy with that. If I, I want, I don't mind technical stuff. I want to here, give it to me. If I if I think it's too technical, I say, well, hell with it. Go to the next one. Right? <clears throat> this is called a real tantra. And um, you can define tantra many things, but the essence of tantra is to find the divine in life, to find divinity in, act, in regular life. It's like a spark that shines out. Uh, you know, life does have little sparks, doesn't it? Rare, I agree, and very rare. Mostly it's dreary, boring, and miserable. That's what the Buddha said. <laughs> but um, but uh, if you can find the sparks of divinity and upliftment in real life, and then you can learn the art of expanding them so there's more of them. <clears throat> so these are the, uh, the moments of the, what I call the CSGF, the clear space of good feeling that occur naturally in life. And you, the, the, in certain scriptures, they talk about this. In the Vijnanabharava, the Spandakarikas, they talk about this. Finding that very odd, they say, you can find this moment when you yawn, one of them says, when you sneeze. And when I read that, I thought, that is really weird and curious. So the next time, I watched myself carefully when I sneezed. I was actually very anxious to sneeze. I really wanted to sneeze so I could see it. And yet, I didn't know how to make myself sneeze. And I thought, mm. but anyway, I finally did sneeze. And I noticed, you know, you don't, know, you don't watch yourself when you sneeze. I bet you, you don't know. But if you do watch yourself carefully, well, I can't say about you, but for me, <laughs> I saw like it went into like a yellow or white light. It was like the mind stopped and it was like, <clears throat> like that. I thought, wow, a moment of divinity. I said, there's something about uh, allergies that's good. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so here you use the shivaness of ordinary life. Uh, so think about it. What are the moments uh, in your life where there was a clear space of good feeling? Just in ordinary things. You know, I used to think people love to go and sit in cafes, in restaurants. There must be something in that that's, that evokes something of the self. So sitting in a cafe, relaxing in the living room when your work is done. Uh, sometimes driving home. The moments, they're just normal moments. Of course, powerful experiences like sex and other kinds of things like that. Or when your team wins. <laughs> These are moments to observe. These are the, the discovery. Uh, they're, not, they're not created, they're discovered, but we don't pay attention to them. So this is the Tantra. Another one. 
let's see, I've got one, two, three, four, five more. Dave Ma, can we do five more or is that too many? Huh? What do you think? I've got a few on meditation I can end with. Well, I can do, okay. Here's one on desire. Desire. Uh, a lot of yogas are um, anti-desire. And yet, without desire, there's no life in the world. Desire is also life force. The world's created by desire, one of the scriptures says. <clears throat> desire in Gurdjieff's system, he calls first force. Like, in, in any event that happens, there's first a desire to do something, a movement. And then that movement reach, uh, comes up against second force, which is the block, the, you know, the, the irresistible force and the immovable object. And so then you, the problem becomes to unblock that and make something happen. That's third force. But so in dealing with desire, we're talking about first force. So we should be clear in first force. So what's the question you ask to be clear in first force? What do I want? What do I want? What is it I want? You know, sometimes we, we want things and we hide them from ourselves because we don't approve of it. So we're at war with ourselves. So, but it's, it's very good to be clear in first force. Ask yourself, what do I want? That's another good question to ask. You, you can see I'm very high on questions. That's inquiry. Ask yourself, that's the unexamined life. That's the examined life is to inquire. What's going on here? That's the New York question. What's going on here in this mechanism that I am? Not just the outside world, not just the social system, the political system, but the inner system. What's going on here? So a few things about first force. Be realistic in first force. Know what it is. And behind that, practice contentment. Have your desire, but it should be against the bedrock of contentment. <clears throat> and my principles are desire is okay if it meets two criteria. The object is good for you, or at least not bad. If you got, if you got what you wanted, it'd be good for you, or at least not bad. And second is it can be obtained. It's very bad to, to go after things that are bad for you and then get them. Then you're left with something bad and you suffer for it. Um, but it's also bad to go after something uh, that you can't attain, that you can't get. So then your whole life is a hungry ghost of yearning and yearning for... Uh... Now that's a, that's a wonderful sadhana, spiritual practice is always to be burning for something you can't have. But uh, not so great. So if, if the desire is okay and you can get it, those two criteria, then it's okay. And, um, but a lot of times we fool ourselves in both directions. We think we can get it and we think it's okay when it's really not. So the solution to that is to ask Davy Ma. <laughs> So... <laughs>
very good method. I got a few on meditation, but one more on the guru's role, okay? The guru's role is to unfold the creative power of the disciple, called the kundalini shakti, the inner power, to awaken it, to unfold it, to unblock it. Of course, that inner power can be blocked, it can be conflicted, it can be obstructed, it can be hidden. It's asleep in some, some of the metaphors. It's sleeping. Um, <clears throat> and then during sadhana at the guru's feet, I spent three years at Baba's feet in India. Um, <clears throat> that's a metaphor from the Upanishads, to sit at the feet of the master. You don't literally sit at the feet, but it means you sit under his umbrella and accept his teachings and his direction. Uh, so, during the sadhana, we joke about how much it burns, but what happens is that inner force starts to eat away the ignorance. It starts to feed on the blocks and the ignorance. Sometimes that's quite a painful process, and the impurities, and then clarifies it. And finally, you see things with a great clarity in a new way. <clears throat> okay, meditation. A couple on meditation, then we'll meditate. Okay, this one, this is a variation on my old TP meditation, which I've done before. <clears throat> so think about it. Sit there and think about that all the thoughts are floating around you in the atmosphere. All the thoughts that you could ever have. <clears throat> all the thoughts that anybody could ever have. Einstein could have them, Newton could have them. Jesus could have these thoughts. They're all floating. <clears throat> Just like radio signals, you know? All the radio signals. So if you don't believe that, you know it's true about radio. And the, the radio signals are floating around there. Uh, I wouldn't believe this if I didn't know it was true. You know? They're all floating in the air. And then you have a, a receiver, and you can get a certain frequency, and then it plays the radio. Isn't that remarkable? But they're all floating around there. <clears throat> and so the thoughts are all floating around the air. And what's your receiver? What's your frequency that you, that you tune into? What thoughts do you pull in and play on your radio station? <clears throat> and we do it. There's no doubt that we do it by the way our mind is tuned. And this is how we create our own reality. And we do have choice. As we grow in meditation, we distance ourselves a little bit from this process, and we can say, oh, those are not healthy thoughts. I don't have to think them. And, and those are healthy thoughts. I can think those. We can turn our, our uh, what do you call it? What's the word I used? Our, uh, our frequency, our, our radio, you know. Receiver, that's the word I had. It <clears throat> can turn our receiver in the right direction. And we can, uh, but we don't have that choice at the beginning because we're too caught in the process. But think about that, that we attract the kind of thoughts that we have. And when we're having 
negative, like tearing thoughts, negative thoughts, so, thoughts of self-hatred. That's a lot of people have that bandwidth, and they bring it in. I'm no good. I'm worthless. No one loves me. I'm unlovable. Those thoughts, the worst kinds of thoughts, um, we're allowing them in. Donald Trump doesn't have those thoughts. God knows he should, <laughs> but he doesn't have them. <clears throat> so we have to learn not to allow those thoughts into our space, and we have uh, choice. <clears throat> and the reason we're open to bad channels, well, there are a lot of reasons, but I think of two. One is just habit. We've been trained maybe by our parents, by our culture somehow. Uh, and, and the other is that we indulge negative emotions. When we indulge negative emotions, uh, we indulge worry and hatred and, and fear and depression. And when we have those, that allows thoughts of a certain kind to come in. The feeling of depression brings in tearing thoughts. Tearing thoughts are hanging up there, saying, where can we go? That person's depressed. Here we go. <laughs> <clears throat> so, okay, let's see. I'll do, uh, I'll do one more on meditation. This is a very important one. <clears throat> I call this practice interiority. Only consciousness has the capacity of interiority, that is, of turning within and examining itself. <clears throat> I had this realization one day, sitting in the tea shop. Not really. <laughs> but that, that nothing else can turn within and think about itself, except consciousness. That seems, that's obviously true. But it's a remarkable ability to turn within and reflect on itself. And this interiority, this movement of awareness inwards towards itself is nothing but meditation. That's the essence of what meditation is about. It's the interiority of turning within, towards the inside. That's meditation. <clears throat> Practice interiority. And notice how it changes your mind, emotion, and energy. So the simplest form of meditation is just turn within and just be aware of what's happening inside. The world seduces us uh, towards exteriorization of our attention. Everything goes outside. Look at this, look at that, look at that, look at that. Uh, but we should consciously interiorize from time to time during the day, throughout the day. Of course, on special times when we meditate, that's conscious interiorization. Of course, when we go to sleep, we interiorize, and what do we get from that? You can't get what you get from sleep from anything else. Sleep gives you so much because we become, we go into the interior. But also during the day, we should Turn within, even for a moment, two moments, like that. So let's meditate. Let's, uh, let's do that. Practice interiorization. <clears throat>
and we'll meditate, we'll meditate for 10 minutes. Is that too esoteric? How is it? Dave Ma, is it all right? Okay, so you are all conscious beings. Whatever the Buddha had, whatever Ramakrishna had, whatever Bhagwan Nityananda had, whatever the great beings had within them, you will also have. And what they did was interiorize. They turned to the interior and they found what was there at their core, which is pure awareness, pure love, pure peace, and pure joy. And so to meditate, we just turn within. And we can just turn within and watch and let all the movements, the agitation go on. And if we just sit there and watch as the witness, it quiets down and clarifies itself. If you like, you can use the mantra of our tradition, Om Namah Shivaya, and repeat that to yourself. But the first movement of it is to interiorize. See what that's like. Your attention's out, you're looking at me, you're hearing my words, you're sitting here feeling what it's like to sit in, on your seat and, your, uh, and so on, your sensations. And now we turn our attention inward there's a definite movement, a definite feeling to interiorizing. And just that movement alone is a movement towards meditation. So let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Dr. Nath Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate. <laughs> 